we're not going to get stuck behind a bus. Maybe no, we are going to get stuck behind a bus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the bus is stuck behind somebody else, probably. Everyone in the bus helping the driver out. <laughs> like, little, 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 you can do it. As we sit here telling stories till it's quarter after three. The details are so gory, but that's how they're supposed to be. And this waiter must be wondering if we're ever gonna leave. Hey, sometimes you get stuck behind a bus. It's a small price to pay for living in the uh, city of brotherly love. And besides, when the person riding shotgun is good company, watching a gigantic septibus trying to squeeze past a double-parked car on a narrow residential street with mere inches to spare, it's all just pure entertainment. And lucky for me... Not only was the person riding shotgun good company, but she's also a multi-talented musician, singer, and songwriter. And she also happens to be my guest today. Her name is Alyssa Garcia. Oh, and not for nothing, my name is John Kim Fay, and this is Talking at the Diner, the show where musicians and other creative types tell me their stories while I eat uh, runny eggs and hash browns and bacon and they eat whatever the hell they want. In this case, the Oregon Diner Munchie Plate, which is a glorious array of everything you could ever want from a deep fryer. Uh, to be completely honest, I was totally coveting Alyssa's menu selection, but, you know, that's a meal for the young. I would very likely not have survived that. Uh, but either way... I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Alyssa, who, despite still being in her early 20s, is already a seasoned musician with a lot of career accolades, including sync placements for her song Loved Actually, which landed on several episodes of The Young and the Restless, and in the Netflix original movie The Starling. Alyssa has also won the Philadelphia Songwriters Project annual contest and, if I'm not mistaken, her 2018 Hometown Heroes Homie Award for Best Pop Song made her the youngest ever recipient of that award. She's released a full-length album and several EPs and a few singles, and here's a taste of one of my favorite Alyssa Garcia songs, Isn't It Lonely? Isn't it lonely up on your pedestal, treating everyone like you do. Hey, be sure to check out the music video for Isn't It Lonely. It was uh, inspired by the Quentin Tarantino movie Reservoir Dogs. And uh, spoiler alert, Alyssa packs a little heat in that video. But it's definitely a sign of her growing empowerment. 
Uh, we talk a lot about her experiences as a female Filipino-American musician and a bunch of other stuff, like our mutual nervousness when we play at open mic nights. Uh, we talk about food and culture and standing up for yourself. It was truly a fun and fascinating conversation, and I hope you enjoy it, because here it is right now on Talking at the Diner. Everything is on the table when we're talking at the diner. Have you seen a lot of these irregular uh, I tags have. around town? I, I wonder. I need what, to look it up. But yeah, I, I don't. What I'm actually really impressed with is that they're so good at doing the tag that um, all of the instances of the word irregular look exactly the same. The same, yeah. I wonder if that's part of the whole... I'm sure. <laughs> vibe. Are you actually irregular if everything is regular, though? That, that, right. Mm. Food for thought. One of the reasons I don't keep a car in the city absolutely hate driving in this like the uh, the whole this museum whole, like, district museum district yeah it is circle i never got used to it because i never really drove in the city i always yeah you know even growing up i just take the train in actually the last time i was down in the museum district it's it's been a while uh they were doing those concerts that they had in the circle did you ever see any of those yeah, shows? Yeah, the, the Oval shows? Yeah, the Egan's Oval. Yeah, I played Oval. one. You did? Yeah, did a, while, a while back. So it How was that experience? Different. It was amazing. With the Ferris oh wheel in the there, background. Yeah, there were a ton of people, too. It was out in the open. People were just walking by. It was a good crowd. Nice. Um, I think it was part of the Philadelphia Songwriters Project. They had a kind of like a, a mini tour. So they had like a bunch of artists coming through there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, what is the Philadelphia Songwriters Project, and what's your involvement with that? Yeah, sure. So the Philadelphia Songwriters Project, um, I'm blanking on what year it started, but it, it was started by two people, um, Stu Shames and Dina Marcioni. Uh -huh. um, Stu Shames was my piano teacher growing up, and Dina was his That name is really friend. familiar. I feel like you guys would have, would have crossed paths at some yeah. point, but he lives in San Diego now. Okay. Every year they used to have a, you know... Um, an award season where they would have people you know, submit applications and there'd be a young songwriters you know, section and then the adult songwriters. Um, so back in 20, 2015 maybe, um, I had uh, won the adult division. So um, I got to tour a little bit around Philly. Um, we were sponsored, I remember, by Kind Bars. So there were, like, free Kind Bars at every show. Oh, nice. Uh, so little, I loaded up on those. energy before right? performing. Um, Excellent. But, yeah, it's incredible. And actually, one of the younger songwriters that I grew up in community with, but, like, really just listening and admiring, Ben Kessler. Um, yeah. Yeah, you, do you know Ben? I remember Ben Kessler. Ben's doing great things. I think um, it's awesome. he's collaborating with one of my favorite artists now, Lizzie McAlpine. Oh, wow. Um, so since you that. were pretty young, you've been very sort of embedded in songwriting communities. Yeah, well, that which, one specifically. I yeah. think I've been in since I was maybe 13. Wow. Um, and really, that was where I met 
the, the songwriters that I've collaborated with, the songwriters that I've just, you know, admired and gone to listen to. Um, and they're diverse too. It's it's folk music, it's it's rock music, it's you know, singer songwriting, pop mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so I was exposed to a lot just through Philly songwriters, honestly. Yeah. Um, and then when I got to to Drexel, of course, there were a ton more songwriters that were my age, and right. I got to um, see how other people work. Now you primarily are a solo artist. I mean, you play a lot of shows by yourself. Yeah. Um, have you had a band in the past, or is that something that you want to do? It's definitely something I want to do now. Uh, I'm not quite sure how to get out there. I think um, hopefully I've created a large enough network that if I started to reach out to people, maybe I could get it done. But it's oh, a matter I'm sure of you could. Um, you know, getting myself to do that. But in the past, I worked with um, the studio band at Chaplin's, which is now the Gem in Spring City. Um, they changed the name. Yeah, they just changed the name. Oh, what's it called now? The Gem. The gem. Yeah. Nice. Um, it's more of a speakeasy now, which is okay. kind of fun. Um, but anyway, I so Chris Catruella, who is the producer um, who I've worked with for years, mm-hmm. kind of brought together this whole studio band of his name is Zach Alex, who's a guitarist, Trey Todd, who just got married at the gym, which is really cool. Wow. Um, that was the drummer, and we used to play Music Fest. Um, maybe like two or three years in a row all together. That's the um, thing in Bethlehem? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, oh, that's great. And that was really invigorating and fun to play with other people and feed off of them. Yeah. Um, so I definitely miss it. I would definitely do it again. Well, there is an excitement when you're bonding with other musicians on stage, but there's also a... I mean, as somebody who does most of my stuff solo mm-hmm. these days... There's like a, a freedom there where if something kind of goes off the rails, it doesn't impact four other people up there yeah, with you. <laughs> exactly. Um, which I kind of like. I like the ability to just sort of shift gears or just stop <laughs> in right. the middle of something if it's not happening or, you know. Yeah, there is a level of comfortability and flexibility doing it. You know, lugging my piano from one place to another, not worrying about <laughs> if, <laughs> if other instruments are coming or yeah. um, no, what sure. sound check's going to look like. Sound checks take like five, ten minutes, which is nice when it's solo. Um, well, not all sound checks. I remember the one all, that you huh? did in Jenkintown. Do you remember that show? <sighs> I do remember that. That was outside in a tent. <laughs> it was freezing. In the cold. <laughs> great people put it <laughs> oh, on. Oh, my God. I love Stephen that. Chrissy, great people. I love Stephen Chrissy. <clears throat> but... Um, Man, that was... That was kind of brutal. <laughs> Is that, in fact, the coldest show you've ever performed? or have I think been? the coldest show, and probably the... No offense to the city of Philadelphia, but the, the worst sound checks <laughs> and worst, like, support have to be the ones at, like, Christmas Village. Uh, um, the sound is never right. Right. Um, it's freezing. you got to play for, like, a, a while. Um, <laughs> you gotta play for a while. <laughs> yeah, so like I'm trying it's to. It's a long, cold it's, it's night a while. for you. Um, how long did they make you play? It would depend. I think the longest I've played is probably like an hour and a half. Okay. With like a little break in between, but those get cold very fast. <laughs> right, There's if you're no just sitting playing piano either. for 90 minutes in the cold. It's not great, especially no. ukulele too. If I pull that out, my hands aren't cooperating. <laughs> They're not, yeah. So. 
Well, that's right. You've I got, don't do those anymore. You're, you're a multi-threat <laughs> instrumentalist. I forgot about the ukulele. Have you been to the Oregon before? I haven't. Oh. I haven't even been to this the complex back there. Oh, it's yeah. pretty interesting too. This is actually like a haven for um, Asian-related dining. Nice. It's very, very good stuff over here. I always find myself in the Washington Ave, like... Yeah, it's not that um, far from area. that whole so, situation. Right. And they are also very diligent about restocking their stuff down. There you go. Machines. So. I'm a sucker for this, honestly. Two. Hi guys, how are you today? Great. How you doing? Do you want something to drink? Sure. Do you have sweet tea? A raspberry. Oh. Uh, no, I'll just do water. Water? Yeah, thanks. Water and coffee. You got it. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Have you ever played a show where it just didn't go at all like you planned, but you still loved it? <laughs> like it was just so weird that you were like, well, I don't know what hit me here, but that was cool. <laughs> yes. Recently, actually. It was, uh, I was the featured artists at the World Cafe Live open mic that they do. Oh, yeah, yeah, sponsors. yeah. Um, Thanks. Thank you. You're welcome. Like, I was just super nervous. I hadn't performed for a minute. Um, but I ended up doing a cover that I, I used to do that I, I love to do now, too. Um, Hit Me Baby One More Time, Britney oh, Spears, Spears, on Come ukulele. On. Yeah. And nice. I thought, this is really weird. Are people going to actually, like... <laughs> How are people going to react? This or, yeah. um, so it was a risk uh-huh. <laughs> um, on top of the fact that I was incredibly nervous. So um, but yeah, that this is kind out. of an interesting thing you bring up because I find very similarly that one of the few situations that I still get nervous in is playing open mic night. I think it's the phenomenon of playing in front of other musicians. Other um, musicians... And it's such a vulnerable, like a yeah. vulnerable space too. Um, and a lot of them could be strangers. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think you really hit on it because, as musicians, we want other musicians to dig what we do. Right. And so you're feeling like, what if they don't like me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, you just played the... The Lickety... Uh, not Lickety, but I'm so, sorry, Katie. <laughs> Milk Boy, Milk South Boy. Street. Yeah, I think I actually had a friend who went that day. Um, I was at Rec the day of. Okay. Um, so I, I heard about it. Um, how did that go? It, well, it, it went really well, and I was nervous. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's the fact that I have this history as like an open mic host and and then to realize like you're walking into a room where maybe a couple of the people that are there know me and know that history and the rest of them are just like who's this guy and that makes me nervous um and it's also even though as the featured artist you get a few more songs to like get a little momentum going yeah it's still it takes until about song number three to really feel comfortable and then after song number five you're done 
So it's, it's, it's just that feeling of urgency. I have to yeah. find my groove, flow, let's say, yeah. or flow in the midst of all this, and I'm, I'm done within 20, 25 minutes of right. starting. Um, it is. It's just the, the fact that you're right, it's a short set. Mm -hmm. like it's, a, it's, it's basically like a very short gig. Um, you have to <laughs> perform well. Right. In such a short span. And I don't know about you, but I find it really hard to pick the songs in that sort of situation. Oh, yeah. Um, I agonize. I agonize I also. Agonize. Yeah. <laughs> because each one has so much uh, weight in the scope of what you're doing. It's like you can't, you have to start off with a banger and you have to follow it up with one. And then maybe the third song you can deviate slightly. Yeah. But then the last two have to be like really powerful too. So it's it's just a weird situation, and, and it never I never feel any less nervous, no matter how much experience I have doing it. Yeah, it's that's a good point too, because I've been I'm similar to you that I've been doing open mics for as long as I can remember, mm. um, hosting them, doing them. Every time I do them, I'm incredibly. Like, <laughs> Hands shaking, sweating, legs are shaking. You can see them like now. You barely posted out at Steel City. Yeah, Steel and City. Um, I used to do Chaplin's open mic nights all okay. the time. I actually ran sound for the open mic nights. Uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Um, could I get this organ's munchie plate? Munchie plate? Yeah. Okay. Uh, could I get um, two eggs? Yeah. Sunny side up with hash browns and white toast right. and bacon well done. Okay. Thanks. All right. All good. I'll take your meetings, okay? All right. Thanks. Sure. So I'm curious as to like the delineation between the nights when you're hosting and the nights when you're just either playing or you're a feature for somebody else. Is that a different feeling in terms of nervousness level? Um, it's funny. I'm a, I'm a very nervous anxious person usually when it comes to large crowds, especially mm -hmm. crowds of musicians. So I think it's a different kind of nervousness for each. Mm -hmm. for, for hosting, for me, um, you know, bringing that energy and kind of making other people feel like they're in a community, yeah. like they feel safe in this space, um, takes a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I overthink a lot about making sure everyone's good, making sure everyone knows what, what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, and then as a host, you know, having well, that's that. that's what a good host does. You, you make know, people yeah. comfortable. Right, having that energy too, um, like visibly, mm -hmm. is hard for me. Because I'm a very like subtle, like, <laughs> right. soft-spoken person. Right. So to, to bring out my game show host voice. And right. <laughs> I would love to go lot, to uh, you know? a night where you're hosting. I think that would be fun. Do you still do that from time to time? I haven't in a while. Yeah. Um, I'd be open to it, but uh, we'll see. Um, and then playing, of course, is just, mm -hmm. like I said, the nervousness of playing in front of other musicians. And, like, not necessarily competitive nature, but like the, the pressure to, to do well in front of people who actually know what it means to get up there and right. play. And, well, that's, I think that's one of the things that makes me nervous as a host is all right, well, you can't just go up there and suck. Like, you're setting a bar here of some kind. So, it's it's always something. But getting back to the Milk Boy open mic. Oh, yeah. It was... <laughs> so, I felt 
pretty good about my set. And um, initially, I mean, I had something going on the next day that was fairly early in the day. So in my head, when I got there, I was like, I was just going to do my set and I'm going to stay for like, you know, usually there's a couple people I know. I'll make sure I see them and then I'm going to bounce. Well, as the night wore on, I was like, you know what? I'm really enjoying this. I'm just going to stay for a little longer. And it just got pushed back and back and back until it was literally the last person on the list. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to stay for that. And Katie will probably do, like, a song on her own, and I'll just, you know. But in between the last person on the list and Katie doing her final host song, she invited this guy up who was visibly inebriated. And I didn't, I don't know this guy, like, well, but he was there with a guy I do know kind of pretty not super well, but I know him. Sure. And they're both hammered. And uh, Katie says, hey, man, you want to close us out? And the guy that I know is like, John Faye, you want to play a little U2 with my friend? I'm like, not really. <laughs> not particularly. <laughs> Thanks, though. So this guy gets up. And he, are you familiar with One by U2? Yeah. Okay. He starts singing One, acapella, acapella. into the mic. Like, not good, but people are doing what people at open mics do. You're trying to be encouraging. You're like, all right, you're done, that's Yeah. In the middle of him singing this song, he just stops. And, and mind you, he's wearing sunglasses the whole night. <laughs> And he's going, and he stops singing. And he's like, no, 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 this stinks. And we're like, no, you're doing all right. Everybody's clapping. And then he starts to verbally attack Katie Phoenix. He's like, Katie, you're a liar. You're phony. You're like clapping along. You're telling me that this is good when you know it stinks. You're fake. You're just fake. It just like repeats oh this like over oh my and over God. again. And I'm like, suddenly, wow, this is taking a dark turn. So she's a brilliant host. I don't, I don't know if you know her, but she just has this thing about her. And part of it is um, she carries a wireless mic at all times. So she doesn't even need to be on stage to be talking and yeah. keeping things going. And so as he's basically like yelling at her, <laughs> she, just, she just takes wireless mic and and like steps in front of the stage and just starts singing you know a dream a little dream of me nice. acapella into her wireless That'll calm mic things down. to just sort of you know rebalance what's happening in yeah. there <laughs> and she's like dream a little dream and at a certain point while she's singing this, this guy is still on stage and he doesn't have a microphone, but very loudly, he's just like, he's just like going like. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> and she's such a trooper. She's just like powering through. And then eventually one of the bartenders sees what's going on and she gets supremely pissed. So she runs 
from a back from behind the bar and like yells down the steps to the bouncer and she's like get up here you get this guy out of here so it, it literally like degenerated into like an orgy of violence unfortunately <laughs> like the bouncer eventually like threw this guy down the stairs oh my god and then the guy that I knew like starts running down he's like what are you gonna do that this is it. and we're just like what just How happened did we get here <laughs> From, oh my like, God. I was gonna leave like 30 minutes ago. <laughs> oh my God! And That's I was like, a superpower to be able to, to. I would not know what to do with this right? situation at all. She just like no, that's a superpower. To, da, 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 da. Oh, that dream, little dream of all things too. Oh my God! And finally, like this, this, these, these dudes are out on the street like yelling. You know, like, and there was another guy up there who, you know, I mean, you never want to see anybody get hurt, obviously. He was like, you can't throw a guy down the stairs. It's going to be a lawsuit. <laughs> so it starts this whole back and forth oh with the people that are still at the open mic. And then uh, I just walked up to Katie and was like, good first night. <laughs> That's what happens when you put, like, emotional, like, you know, expressive people in one group. You know, it's art, a, it's a lot art, of, right. everything it's all in there. between. It's all there. I mean, she deliberately untapped it by inviting this guy up to <laughs> close out the night. And she knew what she Noted. was doing. Noted for she next knew what time. she was doing. And, uh, it's, you know, it's just like a, it's like a little bit of a powder keg. <laughs> and it went off. <laughs> But then Katie, like, walked up to me, like, right before I was leaving. <laughs> and those guys are from around here. They're from South Philly. And she was like, yeah, I'm going to have to have a talk with, you know, the people here at the bar about those guys. Because, you know, they are kind of affiliated. <laughs> no. So. No way. That, did, like, she, did she know that beforehand? Yeah, we all kind of know. But it's, that has a whole other know, element to this. Like, oh no, what is going to happen next week? It's like <laughs> At a the whole, Boy South Street open bag. Honestly, sitcom right there. Whoa. It's a whole, Whoa. it's a whole underbelly that we're part of. That people just don't, don't even have the slightest clue. Oh, Philadelphia. That's one of the reasons that, for whatever weird reason, I feel very attached to South Philly. I've never lived here. But, like, so many of my closest musician friends and people that have played in projects of mine grew up here. And then you kind of learn through just hanging out with these guys, like, what the culture is and everything and you observe people that are here like the first time I ever came here it was like 1.30 in the morning and there was definitely a guy who for like 20 minutes he was taking a butter knife and he had his hand on the table he was going oh not that he was doing that thing and he had a like two year old child at 1.30 oh in the God. morning sitting there 
ACT also. Always a kid this, involved. This, this was the thing that I loved the most. He returned his soup. <laughs> he didn't like the soup, and he returned it. What is what is even on that? <laughs> it's like a chicken strip. So it's ring. basically every fried food you could think of. Hey, we got power curly to you. fries, onion rings, chicken tenders, mozzarella sticks. <laughs> These wings, I, I wasn't sure about, but they're here, so I will consume no, them, I'm I mean, sure. I'm sure. I will say, I've never had anything here that I didn't like. Diners do fried food correctly yeah. every single time, so... I'll, I'll eat it while I still can. <laughs> and well, he's still... Especially from diners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you a ketchup on eggs person? What's that? Are you a ketchup on eggs person? If they're scrambled. If they're scrambled. But not fried. Okay. Although, what's going to happen here is this is all going to get mixed together. So, yes, ketchup will be on the eggs. Scrambled is... I, I've tried that before. I'm the same way. That's just and, how I was... That's how I was raised. My, yeah. sis my sisters, um, they always put ketchup on scrambled eggs when I was growing up. And that's just sort of the default way that I eat them. So isn't it weird how you can be okay with this on certain things and then on other things it's like the most repugnant idea? Um, and I think most people would agree with Like the one time I went to Korea when I was 13 years old. They didn't have uh, like pasta sauce. Okay. So they made me spaghetti with ketchup on it, which was horrifying. <laughs> it was absolutely horrifying. I was mortified. Interesting. And I was like, ah, oh. I remember <laughs> yelling at my mother. <laughs> it's like a huge How could you let them do this? <laughs> Is your mother Korean? My mother was Korean, yeah. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was born there, and my sisters were born there, too. Oh, wow. Okay. And then my mom came here to Philly in the early 60s because she, that's where she was taking her, uh, what do you call it, residency for mm -hmm. being a doctor at Einstein. She had quite a story herself, and so she had a Korean husband who uh, was over here, too, to become a doctor, and he, he cheated on her with a nurse. Oh so they had this really, really bitter divorce, which I have to thank, because I would not exist otherwise. Right. But she went through some tough times. I recommend anyone who, first of all, travels to a new country to pursue anything. Yeah, no doubt. Because my mom did the same, but... And then to have the stress of that, have the stress of a residency, it's, that's incredible. Yeah. So your parents were born here or no? My mom was born in the Philippines, born and raised in the Philippines. Mm. My dad was born in Staten Island, born and raised in Staten Island. That's right. We've yeah. discussed this before. Yeah, yeah. We talked about this before. We did, didn't we? <laughs> um, which I'm pretty sure I said before, he'll let anyone know. <laughs> And even if I, I meet someone new and I say, oh yeah, they're from New York. He's like, did you tell, did you tell them that I'm from New York? Did you tell them? They gotta know. They gotta know. Who they're dealing with. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so yeah, my, um, 
my mom brought all over, you know, all of the culture and tradition. Mm -hmm. My dad brought over a different kind of culture and tradition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, grew up on that. Thank you. Great, thank you. Now, you and I have talked about this before too, because I think it had a lot to do with some of the stuff that you were contemplating when you were at Drexel. The the idea of like the being the third culture kid. Right. Yeah, I think it's something that I didn't really um, step into, mostly because I didn't know a term like that existed, or mm -hmm. I didn't really identify with anything specific. Um, I always just knew that growing up a little more Americanized than my cousins in the Philippines was always something interesting to navigate, and um, I didn't really tap into culture as much when I was younger because I grew up in a majorly white Catholic school. Mm -hmm. um, so it really just wasn't around me in my environment enough to take interest in it. Mm -hmm. um, so when I got to Drexel, a lot more diverse of a community. Um, and I figured what better time than now to learn about Know, where my ancestors came from, mm -hmm. what it means to be Filipino-American, what it means to be Filipino specifically, what it means to be American specifically. So you did a very intentional immersion into your culture. I think it was, because I think if I didn't take, or if I didn't do that intentionally, it wasn't going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, I think I was very, you know, set in certain ways that I, I grew up. I, um you know, eating Filipino snacks and Filipino food was, like, normal at home. But if I did that anywhere else, it was like, oh, what is that? Like, and having to explain myself in kind of a way mm -hmm. instead of, like, sharing that information or, like, educating the people around me yeah. um, was, like, a, a mindset switch for me when I got to college. It was it was very much like, a, oh, I want to share this with you uh, because I'm proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that whole idea of being proud of it, um, I think, changed everything. Yeah. I so... I love that because I think I went through a similar kind of attitudinal shift about it mm -hmm. because, you know, obviously like the, the time and place where I was growing up and probably even at a younger age than what you're talking about, you know, like say Korean food or Korean culture was so, so foreign that it was, and take out of the equation even like my personal confusion <laughs> that I was going through. Mm -hmm. You know, these things existed in our home. You know, if you've ever had kimchi, it's delicious, but it stinks. <laughs> and that's all you would kind of like get the sense that somebody who wasn't familiar with that would would say about it right oh god because that's the first thing you know. what do you eat that stinky food for and it's been amazing to see how everything has really changed to the point where if somebody comes up you know to see me near my house the first thing i want to do is take them to h mart yeah. you know what i mean and that's, that's definitely not something that would have been my thinking 
as a younger person. Yeah. So I think the culture has really shifted tremendously in a very good way in terms of that stuff. Philadelphia is nice because it's good to have places where you can actually do that. There's a bunch of H marts around. Um, there are more and more you know Filipino restaurants that are mm-hmm. popping up that I can take people to um, share. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm not familiar that much with Filipino food or culture, really. Yeah. So, what's like a go-to dish that you would introduce a new person to? I think I would start out with chicken adobo, mm-hmm. which is pretty, you know, familiar. Um, there's a Spanish version. So, basically, Filipino culture is like an amalgamation of a bunch of different cultures, is what mm-hmm. I like to say. Um, you know, we were conquered by Spain, we were conquered by a bunch of other places, but mostly um, we use like a lot of spices, um, a lot of curries, mm-hmm. a lot of like slow cooked food that's very you know, comforting. Gotcha. Um, so chicken adobo, it's, you know, it's pretty simple. It's just, you know, chicken, onions, garlic, a lot of garlic. We cook with a lot of garlic. Um, Where it's at. Right? And, mm-hmm. um, and then I probably go to my favorite dish which is called curry curry or kare kare with uh-huh. yakin. Um, but it's like this this peanut butter based stew. Peanut butter. Not wow. just peanut, it's peanut butter. Wow. Um, I actually cooked it for the first time because I'm trying to do this thing where I, I learn um, a Filipino dish from my mom almost every week. Oh, that's awesome. So uh, I was you oh, know, cool. FaceTiming her as I was cooking this in my little apartment. <laughs> um, like, am I doing this right? This feels weird to put this much peanut butter in. <laughs> Yes, thank yeah. you. Um, so that's something that she made a lot when you were. She alive. made a lot. Yeah, she made a lot. Um, there's different variations of it, but basically it's you know slow cooked meats um, and then vegetables like green beans, eggplant, um, butternut squash too. So it's like a berry, and then it's cooked for like hours and hours in like a slow cooker. Wow. Um, so it's it's very much comfort food. I think that's why I love it so much. Um, that's great. Yeah. Um, I seem to remember sometime last year, I think. Is it like a Filipino, like fast food place opened up? Jolly Bee. Jolly Bee. Yep. In Northeast Philly. Mm-hmm. And I was fascinated. Just, I mean, I didn't actually go, but I was like, man. People are freaking out over this. It's a big People deal. People are in line. It's a big deal. Tell me about Jollibee. <laughs> so Jollibee is basically like the KFC of, of the Philippines. Okay, got so, it. But like, I am biased, but no. 10 to 20 times better. <laughs> okay. So they, they have amazing fried chicken, which they call chicken joy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very, you know, there's a Jollibee on like every corner, um, especially when I go back to the Philippines. You can get it anywhere, anytime, really. Um, but they also serve like pretty unique dishes. They serve a spaghetti, and Filipino spaghetti has um, a sweeter tomato sauce on it. Mm. So if you think of like Elf and the way he ate spaghetti, okay. it's a little <laughs> less than that, but it's similar. Okay. Similar vibe. Um, they sell, you know, it's a fast food place, so they sell burgers, but they sell burgers with, you know, uh, a ring of pineapple on top. It's like a pineapple oh. Oh, yeah. burger. Um, so they just have like these like very iconic like Filipino fast food 
um, items. And this is the first location in Philadelphia to open. There's like a bunch in, um, or there's I think two maybe in Jersey, Jersey City and um, Edison, I think it is. Hmm. So it's like a bit of a drive, but it's very much like a, um, a hub to, you know that if you go there, you're probably gonna see another Filipino. Yeah. It's like that comforting feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why people freaked out so much to have one in Philly. Yeah. Um, and then after that Jollibee was opened, a bakery called Red Ribbon, um, it's also a Filipino bakery that's like all over the Philippines, um, opened like right next to it. Nice. So now you're, you know, slowly building a, a place where people can now, go to feel like home. is Northeast Philly like a Filipino enclave that you're aware of? Not or? that I knew. Okay. Not that I knew, but I think they're trying to, there was enough. Filipinos that mm -hmm. they thought here, let's, let's build this yeah, I mean, I'm sure they more. researched the area before they just right. plop a location right. down. There are a good amount of Filipinos in, in Philly, I think. Mm. It's comforting to see. If I think about like where I was actually born, which is basically northeast Philly, but very close to Montgomery County. Okay. Um, I think it's interesting that I eventually moved back not too far from there. And it wasn't intentional. It was just because uh, my wife at the time got a job mm -hmm. teaching at uh, Arcadia, oh, wow. which okay. was at that time called Beaver College. Mm -hmm. And um, when she said that she was applying there, I was like, I don't think that's that far from where I was born, you know? So it's been really kind of cool to kind of, you know, I grew up in a completely different place, you know, down in Delaware, and then to come back to where I was born was pretty interesting. And the thing about it is, is that there are a lot of Korean people in Elkins Park and Cheltenham and all that, which I didn't really know until I got there. Not that I'm like that immersed in like the Korean community per se, but it is comforting to walk into H Mart and just feel like I'm not the only Asian person there. It is. You know? It's incredible. Um, and I don't know if you go through, I think for me, I go through like little phases of noticing more <laughs> if I'm the only Asian person in the room. You know, some. I was at a show at Johnny Brenda's last weekend mm -hmm. and I was completely just like in the moment and loving it and immersed. Yeah. And then for whatever reason, like a split second, I like looked around and I was like, pretty white Only in one. here. Yeah. <laughs> Only one, huh? You know? Yeah, okay. You know? Which is fine. I mean, it was, you know, I didn't feel uh, like unsafe or anything yeah, right. whatsoever at any point. But it, it was just like, wow. Yeah, I've been recognizing that a lot, a lot mm -hmm. more in the spaces that I've been in and kind of trying to be in different spaces that actually do have you know, mm -hmm. Asian community. Because honestly, it's, it's a matter of seeing someone that looks like you and knowing that almost like you belong mm -hmm. or having more of a sense that you belong in that space. Um, I think, you know, we, we've talked about this, but, like, music-wise, mm -hmm. in the, the industry now, there are a lot more 
um, Asian Americans, specifically, mm -hmm. you know, Filipino Americans for me, that are mm -hmm. popular, getting recognition. So it feels like I actually have a, you know, a place or a shot to be mm -hmm. able to pursue this that I didn't feel like I had before. Right. You know it's possible. Yeah. And that's a very big deal. It's a huge deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's, you feel a sense of pride, too, because mm -hmm. the more that you tap into that culture and, and realize, like, hey, I am a part of this. Like, um, I'm not excluded from this because I was born in America or anything like that. It's um, very much something that, at least the Filipino community here, um, I felt very embraced by. Um, and my mom has done a great job of reminding me that that, mm -hmm. that is a community that I can tap in, into and um, find support in. So This was kind of, kind of telling. So... Do you do TikTok? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I dabble. Okay. It's my least favorite because okay. it's, it's it's it takes too much effort. You yeah, know? like I'm does. like I'm already doing these other things, and now I got to do this. But one thing I like about it, I just like the platform for creating the content. It's just easy. Like I I find that their their captioning thing it is very intuitive is just better. It just gets it right more often and I just I like the look of the videos you can create on there so like very often I'll just like make the thing on TikTok knowing it'll get like 20 views but you know but put it up everywhere else mm -hmm. I always have problems figuring out how to hashtag my stuff and one time I was like how about Asian rock musician hashtag whatever you ever, you ever like come up with a hashtag and it's like, you know, you want to start this one? Because no one else has done it before. Really? <laughs> oh my God. And I'm constantly kind of like, oh, okay, well, this just goes to show like just how not <laughs> in the mainstream my, my ideas are or me or whatever. But um, I hope that you know, like you said, with all of this greater representation, you know, and and granted, you know, some of these people who are half Asian, like you have to tell people that that's what they are in order for anyone to actually know. No. Okay. Yes, Can I actually get a cup of coffee? Yeah, thanks. But um, that's a thing that we should embrace, you know. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point you bring up, though, being a Asian American artist in rock, like that does seem, you know, pretty unique. And the fact that you had to create that hashtag. All of the Asian people who are musicians are either in pop or K-pop. <laughs> it's nice to see the representation and just the fact that they exist as musicians. But like mm -hmm. in terms of like my specific kind of music, it's still pretty, it's still pretty desolate. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> But that's exciting to be kind of like a, an agent for that kind of change, to be able to champion that effort and be like, I am, I am here, we exist, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's really interesting. One artist that I'm thinking of that I've been pretty much obsessed with for a while, I might have mentioned it to you, but um, Audrey Nuna, she's mm -hmm. a Korean-American mm -hmm. rapper. Um, female rapper too and um, like again pretty unique not very common mm -hmm. but the way she's 
she's you know she's getting bigger she's got some some hits and her latest project is so solid i know every single word like um that's amazing just to you know have an asian american rapper female mm-hmm. rapper to like listen to and be like i love this should i experiment and try if i can rap <laughs> you absolutely should you should do whatever you know, it is you it's feel just like the the excitement the of, heart desires <laughs> I don't think I'll be releasing any of that. But uh, it's always an exercise, and it's always like nice to know that it's possible. Mm-hmm. I think that's the the root to all of this. It's like representation signifies, you know, just possibility. As uh, a friend of mine often says, I'm not coming to the party, but I just want to get the invite. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> I don't have to actually show up. I don't need to be there. It's just the just the, the knowledge that, that I'm invited. You know. Now, I didn't watch the Oscars, but obviously there was like a big uh, Asian victory that happened that night. Mm-hmm. I watched, honestly, just the, you know, Michelle Yeoh's speech. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just... You know, it was really wild. Like when I saw like a still picture of her accepting the Oscar, it really... It looked like my sister, you know, like I could imagine my, you know, it was like, just not even like they, they look alike in terms of their features, but just like the way she was carrying herself. I was like, wow, that's a very, there's a certain intangible Asian dignity thing that exists. Yeah, yeah. I know <laughs> just the exactly way they hold about. themselves. And um, I thought that was really cool. You know, she's always been so elegant, but still not even but still, but elegant and outspoken too. Mm-hmm. She's always voiced her opinions. I've watched like old interviews of hers. Yeah, where she's like telling off like Jackie Chan because he was being misogynistic during like a commercial shoot or something. <laughs> and that was like in her younger years, and she still very much holds that um, that commanding spirit in her, you know, her pieces and her, the way that she speaks and, um, yeah. Well, that's, that's a whole other thing. I mean, not only has she had to overcome prejudices against being Asian, but it's hard to be an Asian woman, woman yeah. too. And I'm sure you've dealt with a lot of that yourself. Yeah, I think, um, in, in most, like, music spaces and even, you know, workplace spaces, too, it's, difficult because there's, you know, the stereotype that Asian women are very, um, you know, timid, soft-spoken, they won't, you know, make a huge impact. Um, And, you know, I've fallen victim to that for a very long time. Um, I think I still do, and I'm trying to kind of combat that idea that I am. I am pretty soft-spoken, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that I don't have things to share. Right. you know, I deserve to have the same space as everyone else. And, mm-hmm. um, every you know, Asian American woman should feel the same. And, um, but it does. It, it adds like a whole another layer of, you know, pursuing music is hard in itself, but doing it as an Asian American woman has, you know, proved very specific, different challenges that mm-hmm. um, I still am facing. And, um, it's it's easier, like you said, when there's, you know. Asian American women in mainstream music and mm-hmm. they're doing it. Um, so it feels more almost like normalized. Right. Um, 
but it's it's hard for sure. Yeah. You talk about like the uh, the idea that because you're Asian, maybe you're kind of timid or that whole idea of like the model minority. Mm-hmm. I try very hard to to control my reactivity. <laughs> I've worked very hard on this. But last week, or it might have been two weeks ago. So I've got my book release show coming up in April, and it's been like a real challenge to, you know, pin down the date. It got changed back and forth a couple times. And then I got a call basically saying, hey, we got this uh, offer to do like a private corporate event on the same night as your thing it would be during your vip portion but you know we can try to like keep the uh, the events kind of separate and this was after like my show had been switched back and forth twice and god bless him my friend jesse he he had to like deal with the brunt of what i was feeling or whatever and i was like just give me my fucking show Good. It's like, you know, I'm like, I feel like a goddamn rag doll right now. <laughs> yeah. And um, to this to this day, I actually don't know if they're going to do that or not. <laughs> really? I mean, I said, yeah. like, if you're calling me for my opinion, it's a hard no. Yeah. And then, you know, I don't see. That's the thing. Like, I didn't know if he was calling if it was an ass. to ask me or tell me and try to get me to be OK with it. <laughs> But either way, I was, like, super, like, pissed and annoyed about it. And then, of course, the person who wants to be the consummate professional then thinks about it for a few days. And then I sent him an email, and I said, I mean, I didn't apologize for being pissed. I apologized for, like, shooting the messenger. But it's not his, he's just sort of, like, the poor bastard that's put in the position of trying to call me. Yeah. But I think I said in the email, I was like, you know, the reason that I was upset is because, you know, I've basically my whole life, I've been struggling uh, against not being taken seriously. And I'm just asking you, is this something that happens with every artist you book there? Or is it just a case of, well, John's a nice guy. He'll understand no matter what you do. And... I'm, I'm trying very hard to ride, walk that line where, you know, I'm not alienating people left and right, but I'm standing up for myself because it didn't feel like the kind of thing that you would normally ask a person that you had already booked a night with right. to, to right. just accept. And it just, it just creates all these thoughts in your mind is like do they not think that I can like sell enough tickets to make this a successful night so they gotta book some corporate party while I'm trying to do like my own thing so I you know first of all I commend you for that (laughs) that is something I still struggle to do a lot Mm -hmm. Um, stand up for myself and like stand up you know especially for something so important to you it's like your life's work you're writing a book and it's yeah and I look, I get that it's all business to whomever you're, you know, you're taking that into a realm where, you know, the people who you're interfacing with, like, they're cool with you doing your thing, but 
that the, the bottom line is like, how much money are you going to make them by doing it at their place? So that's a long-winded way of saying I feel you. <laughs> that is comforting to know. Yeah. Inspiring, honestly. It it does take that assertiveness, especially when you've gotten to a place where you do have a relationship with them and you've always been amicable. Mm-hmm. You know, you try to be nice to everyone, maintain those relationships. But when something like that, that comes up, especially with the importance of it, you know, there's there's only one way to go. That's to right. assert yourself. And that's one of the few moments where I was like, I wish I had a manager. I mean, I've had a lot of managers in my life and they've all had their pros and cons and there came a point where I was just like well first of all the kind of manager that I would want is probably not interested in me so and nobody is going to care as much as me in executing the ideas that I have and everything so I'm just gonna be my own manager that's a really good point and that was the one time where I was like I just wish I had somebody else that I could call up and vent to, and then have, you know, like, sick them on them like a bulldog, you know? Like, that's, yeah. I really wanted that yeah. in that moment. Have like a temporary and, manager for just these situations I need right. to, <laughs> I'll train you on what to say, then you go say it. No, but uh, in that case, I guess it, it's different for phone calls, obviously, because you have to pick up the phone and actually speak, but mm-hmm. someone, um, when I was... I had the same feeling, like I wanted a manager, I wanted someone else to help me handle things. It felt a lot to do on your own, and it is. Um, but then I decided, like, I probably will, no one will ever care as much as I can. And But that's like a whole other conversation of, like, valuing yourself. So what I started doing was, um, if I really wanted a gig, and I was, like, facing the prejudice of either being... Asian American or too young or like not enough experience to fill a room I'd send uh, an e- a little little tip send an email from like um, info at alyssagarcia.com or like uh, manager at like something where it's like oh Alyssa's interested in you know speaking the third person and like and I get different responses I would um, and I've you know sometimes you gotta, you gotta play the game a little bit but it's um, that was, my, I guess, my passive way. I don't know about you, but I'm definitely doing that from now on. All my booking emails are going out from manager at johnfay.com, and I'm just going to talk about myself in the third person and let the chips fall where they may. Brilliant idea from a brilliant young mind. I want to thank Alyssa Garcia for that wonderful conversation at the Oregon Diner in South Philly. It's actually my first repeat diner since I started this podcast in 2021. But, hey, it's literally one of my favorite places on earth. And many of the conversations I've had with friends and fellow musicians in that place uh, inspired the very idea for this show. So I got no problem with going back again and again and again. And I hope you'll be back again and again and again with me. I'm John Kim Fay, and I'll catch you next time on Talking at the Diner. Talking at the Diner.